The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Pia Berengini, the creative director of LPA, an entrepreneur, a wife, and a dog mom based in Los Angeles. This is my new podcast, Everything is the Best, where we basically ask interesting people, how did you go from zero to yacht? I'm always curious how the hell people became successful, and I figured you would be too. Get on the internet with me. Let's laugh, let's cry, let's overshare, and let's get inspired to live our best lives. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. It's all for you, baby. Thanks for listening. Love you, mean it. Hey, it's Mariana, and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. In this episode, I have Julie Schott. She is a founder and entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of many companies that I love and I'm actually an investor in. There's Starface, Julie Plus, and a new one that's coming very soon, which I think you guys will be so excited about. In this episode, we talk about how she built Starface, why she quit her career to pursue her own business, her life as a founder, and how she comes up with her product ideas and innovation. If you guys want to hear from Julie, keep listening. But before we get into the episode, be sure to subscribe to my podcast because I've got new episodes every Tuesday. Let's go back before Starface. Mm -hmm. What was your job before? (laughs) Yeah, so I'll go all the way back. I started writing about my life online pre-Instagram. So there was this era online of of the personal essay. And I wrote for this site called exojane.com, which was founded by Jane Pratt. And the premise was that we would all just share what we were experiencing in life, like a cast of characters. And you had to speak to your personal experience and you had to do it every day. Those were kind of the rules. And were you writing as Julie or you writing as somebody else? Okay. Yeah, I was writing as myself. And at the time I was probably 22 years old. And the biggest things in my life were that I had acne. And I was obsessed with it. And I would write about all the things I tried. I would take like pictures of myself, very low res pictures. And again, this is pre-Instagram. So people are in the comments section of this website talking about what they use, like asking questions. And we're all just kind of getting to know one another. And and you have these like categories of top commenters. The commenters almost became writers in their own right. It was a very specific internet era for sure. What year was this? This must have been 2012. Oh, wow. Yeah. Time ago, a decade ago. Yeah. And then where did what happened after that? Yeah. So so I was writing every day for this site with this group of women. We were all telling our individual stories. Everyone had a different kind of trajectory. Some people got book deals. Some people went in a completely different direction. For me, somebody who I'd worked for a few years prior as an intern, her name was Emily Doherty. She was the beauty director of Elle. She emailed me or texted me or said something. And she said, I really like your writing. Would you ever write for Elle? And I said, oh, I think that we've already met. I actually worked <laughs> for you. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, because, you know, the intern phase of life, sometimes you're just sort of seen and not heard. But I said, yeah, of course, I would love to. And so she assigned me the story. And it was, again, it was always the kind of intersection of beauty and culture and sort of the psychological connection between the beauty practices that we do. And that was my first story. And it was a print story. And it was it was yeah, it was about the psychology of the way that we present ourselves in the world, sort of the favorable treatment that you might get if you choose to wear makeup or alter your appearance. And then maybe some of the consequences if you don't and just those very real realities and what it means and what it means for a woman. And that was kind of where it all started and really continued to do these personal essays that centered around beauty, self-esteem, culture, 
intersected all kind of in that place. When I'm thinking of what year this is, that seems very modern for them. Oh, interesting. I think that at that time, it was still like very fluffy. A lot of the content that I was reading, especially in print, it didn't seem like it was so thoughtful. Well, Emily was really science focused. She she cared about rooting a story either in a scientific study or a cultural moment. And so I really think she drove that home and I learned that from her. There was often kind of a darkness to some of these stories, especially being a young person and kind of navigating these things myself and then also working them out in front of an audience. And with print, of course, you don't know necessarily, it's not the same. You don't get that instant reaction, but you're writing it. And then six months later, it comes out. You might be in a very different place in your life, but it was a really cool experience and a very real education. And how long did you stay at Elle? I was there, wow, a number of years. I, I was in print for a number of years. And then I ended up moving to digital, which was a little bit the reverse because I'd started in digital, spent time in print, and then moved over to digital as a digital beauty editor and stayed there for a number of years. And that was back to the fast-paced reporting, reporting on trends, starting conversations. And again, different time on Instagram, different type of algorithm. And I know, you know, we've all grown up with that in sharing and talking about these things. But L.com was was a really, also really cool experience. And I got to make some things that still matter a lot to me. And I still get to work with a lot of the people that I worked with there in different ways. So those relationships were just, you know, important and formative in a lot of ways. And so you spent all this time at L, and then you were like, I want to start something different. So how <laughs> did you know that it was time for you to start your own brand yeah. or move on from your editorial life? Yeah, no, that's a hard question, right? To know when is it time? And I think I started to feel, well, I, I felt a number of things. One, that I had really grown up in this specific category. So I was always writing about beauty, always thinking about beauty. And even that word became kind of grating. Like, what is beauty? And I felt began to feel like I've done everything I can do with this platform and with this category. I just felt like I needed space from it. And I also felt like I needed space to think about maybe some things that I had internalized and other young people coming up in this space had internalized that we wanted to unlearn. There was just, there was something to unpack. And I, I left this job that I had always wanted and I didn't have a great plan in place. I just knew, I knew I needed to be able to make enough money that it would be equivalent <laughs> to my salary. And I, I left and I don't think, you know, I could have planned it better. I didn't, I didn't leave with the plan for Starface. I had an idea, but I didn't have, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a partner. I didn't have a manufacturer. It was just an idea and spent the next year knocking on doors, making calls, trying to make things happen and nothing was happening. <laughs> So if you guys are looking for a new podcast to subscribe to, I've got one to tell you about. You may know her from her work as an actress or model, or maybe you've read her best-selling book, My Body. Either way, M. Rada, a.k.a. Emily Radikowski, finally has a podcast. Hi Low with M. Rada is a brand new weekly chat series where she'll be talking everything from politics, philosophy, and feminism to sex, gossip, and TikTok, all of it and more. Each week, there's going to be two episodes. First, she'll be chatting with everyone from big name celebs to incredible authors and friends. On the second episode, it'll be just Emrata. She's talking everything from personal anecdotes to big things that are going on in the world. 
Join her in marrying everything from high and lowbrow with chats surrounding pop culture and happenings that may seem frivolous in a way that raises big questions. I've already subscribed to her podcast and I've been listening to a few of the episodes. You can find episodes so far with Alex Cooper and Julia Fox. She's also recently single and she talks a little bit about her dating life and dating again. And she also has her friends come on and they just talk about it in general. And I love hearing from her perspective and the perspective of her friends and how she gives them advice on their dating profiles. So definitely subscribe. I've got it linked in my description box. I think you guys will definitely be into this and it's something that you can listen to frequently. I was just listening to it the other day when I was like cleaning my closet and getting ready. I just had it on and it was like getting ready and cleaning while listening to a friend on the phone. So you can listen to it from Sony Music Entertainment and something else. Listen and follow High Low with Emrata wherever you get your podcasts. When did you start working on the idea for Startface? It was something I started thinking about Probably as early as 2017, I think, because I'd had, you know, for a lot of reasons, had, you know, you're immersed in that world and you're observing trends and behaviors. And you're also meeting, you know, I was meeting amazing founders like you. And, you know, it's just this class of women who were doing really interesting things and was lucky enough to, you know, become friends and and give and receive advice and support one another. But I had this thought that I wanted something to exist that didn't exist when I was a teenager. I felt like when I was a teenager, the beauty standard was particularly monolith, particularly narrow. And I think we can all remember that time in the early 2000s. And now that that trend cycle is back and we're kind of, I mean, we all love a good Y2K moment, but there's a lot about the Y2K moment that was not the healthiest. And so in thinking about early Starface, it was kind of like, what what would it be like to give the next generation and then the following generation something different like something a little bit counterculture to that to that ideal and that was really the start because as somebody who acne was pretty definitive for me in my early 20s but it's also something that you know because 95% of people experience this thing it's incredibly universal and a lot of the products and systems that I had tried had been around for decades and not a lot had shifted in terms of the offering or the attitude or the voice. And it it felt like it could, like it felt like it could be different potentially. And so I love the brand, your tone of voice, the writing. I love everything Thank about you. it. It's <laughs> fun, but it's also still effective at the same time. So how do you balance like this tone of voice that's like, it's fun and it's playful and I want to wear my stickers out and I want to see it and I love the community around it, but they actually do work. Like I put it on and I wake up the next morning and like my pimple is. Yeah. Yeah. No, that I mean that. Thank you for saying that, because that was always the idea. It was that in the acne space, there's this misconception that clinical and and effective treatments also have to be serious in their personality. And I don't think that it's a monolith. They think that something that's effective can also be cute and fun and relatable and approachable. And the main thing with with Starface was going into the acne category, you would see a lot of before and after pictures. And the before was always really sad. And then the after was like, I'm better now. And I just thought, why? Why does it need to be that way? I think you're you're still just as cute with acne. You're cute with stars on your face for sure. But it didn't need to be this, oh, I can only really live my life once my skin looks a certain way, especially since, again, these can be longer term experiences. And so you know, a young person doesn't necessarily want to wait the four weeks, the four to six weeks for like a topical treatment to work. Of course, your topical treatments are really valuable, but the instant effect of just feeling better by wearing a patch is 
reinforces this idea that it doesn't have to be a bad experience. What came first, the brand name or the product? The product. Okay. So then how did you land on stars? Stars are so, well, they, first of all, they just look cute. They just look good on your face. I'm biased, but it's a really universal symbol of, of positive affirmation. A lot of people pointed out, we didn't think about it this way, but a lot of people point out, you know, when you're in elementary school, you get a star for doing something good. So it's inherently positive and it's just a universal symbol that we could all connect with. And then star face is (laughs) pretty spot on. (laughs) Fun to say, I, I gravitate towards names that are if you can speak English or the related languages that you're you're going to be able to say it and read it and connect with it. I love that. And I love the product. Well, I love it so much and believe in you. I'm an investor. I'm an investor in <laughs> a few very things lucky. that you've Thank done you. because I think the things you've done are great. And like, what is your thought process now on like future products that you're launching within Starface? Because I feel like the stars are so iconic, but you've come out with other things like face wash and SPF. And what's the, the assortment? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I I'm so curious your process too, because year one, you don't know the customer yet. So you're you're formulating things. You have a product lineup, but you don't have data yet. You think that you know what they want. And now year three, we actually do know what they want, which is so nice to be able to make things knowing that how they're going to be received. And so we're able to focus on items that are always having an element of surprise. So even our future collabs for next year are surprising. I think they're different from the ones we've done before. And in terms of category, I think anything can be a Starface product if it's expressive and fun and communicative. So we definitely wouldn't limit ourselves to just the skincare category because I think the way we see the wearer, the joy that they find in in color and expression and playing with a look is so who they are. How did you land on even creating this product? Because there's a lot of patches out, but this yeah. one works. Like, how did you make it different? Like, how did you know that it was actually going to be effective? Yeah, I, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we were told, I mean, so first of all, the idea of a decorative patch was always the core idea because I remember seeing patches probably, probably 2015 was when I started seeing them out of the Asian markets, traveling and things like that. And it was around the time when sheet masks had really blown up. And sheet masks were everything. And the pimple patches were coming out of, you know, you would go to Korea and maybe get to try them or maybe you could find them in the U.S. from a special retailer. But I always thought, why why shouldn't these be decorative? And I think that might have just been the convergence of like doing backstage beauty reporting, which was always the really exciting time for beauty looks because you would see really crazy, exciting experimental looks. And I think it just converged that way. Like, why can't this be decorative? And so... We set out to make a decorative patch, which today seems very easy, but we couldn't find a manufacturer. And this, again, is because we were coming to it from with like no entry point to this. We couldn't find a manufacturer who was able to or wanted to do a decorative patch. So most would say, well, we can do a clear one or we can do a circular one. We can't do anything else. And then the other feedback would be, well, why would anyone want to wear a decorative patch? Why would anyone want to wear a visible patch? It was a lot of that at the time. And so, you know, how did we know that it would work? We didn't, but I knew that I wanted to wear it and I knew that my friends wanted to wear it. And, you know, when you're making something, I always feel like if you're the customer, you're you're not the only one. And I feel like it's changed so much since you launched because now I think people are proud to wear them out. So where are some of the places that you've been surprised to see someone wearing a star? Yeah, no, I... 
I love to see people wearing them. I went to see Don't Worry Darling at AMC at the Grove. I don't know why I'm so specific. That's not like a plug. But the the woman who was like serving popcorn was wearing Blue Star and I was wearing Black Star and I like gave her a little, you know. And yeah, a lot of different coffee shops or places like that around LA. I'll see people I also see a lot of celebrities wear them out in paparazzi pictures. They're like Bella Hadid walking down the street (laughs) with like stars on her face. And I love that. It's like everyone is just wearing them out. And I think it's almost like, oh, it's it's okay. Like she's wearing it out too. Like I can too. And like, I literally have a pimple on my face right now. So it's like, it's okay to wear these out. Yeah. And it's cute. That's totally the idea. And it is, I think it is validating when you see the it girl or the hot girl wearing them because you're like, yeah, everyone gets a pimple. Yeah. And Justin Bieber was for sure like the acneic king on the mood board who we were like, if he could wear them, that would be everything. So to see him and Haley wear them is really, really cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Okay. So you have a lot of different businesses. Starface being one of a few. Yeah. Um, the newest one being Julie, also an investor. <laughs> Julie. <laughs> so what is Julie and what was the thought process of naming it Julie? Yeah. Yeah. So Julie is a healthcare company and our first product is emergency contraception. That product is called Levongestrel, the generic drug. And so the thinking with Julie and with this drug is access and information. So my partner and I were were really struck when we learned this statistic that up to 50% of pregnancies in the US are unwanted or mistimed. We heard that and we just thought this can't be good enough. This is so significant. And there are options as much as we're we're in a state of whatever we're in a state of in the U.S. This option is not under fire. And we do have this option. It felt really important to debunk any misconceptions around it because there are so many. And we went out and we did focus groups, like big nationwide focus groups to learn what the misconceptions around taking the morning after pill are. And they're so vast. So we thought, and, and you know, when you, when you, have something like a generic drug, you might say, well, how is this different than the other ones? What what else can it do? I think knowing that statistic and knowing that those misconceptions are still so prevalent, there's a lot to be done. And if the user can get this option from us or someone else or whoever they can get it from, then fantastic. They don't need to just get it from us. It's fine. But we it was really important that we had a one-for-one donation program because it's not a you know, in the grand scheme of things, not a cheap drug. So the one for one donation program was really important to us. And with that program, the goal and the hope is to be the largest donor of emergency contraception in the U.S., which we hope will ultimately change that statistic. I want to ask about the name Julie. So why Julie? Yeah. So Julie is my name. We knew we wanted to give it a human name or a really accessible name. That was kind of the baseline. And I started thinking about names and I was very centered in the place of like plants and flowers and like life and then being vibrant. All of those names were taken because we share a category with sexual wellness. So we have sex toys in our category and there are just so many of those. (laughs) So my partner, Brian, said, oh, what if we just call it Julie? And I was like, "Okay, you can. We've searched 25 trademarks. This is not cheap. So if you want to try, sure. And of course, Julie was available and I was, okay, that sounds good. I'm proud. I would be proud to have my name on something like this. And it feels very friendly and approachable when we talked to our our people in our focus groups. And I remember I said to my parents, like, oh, why did you name me Julie? And they said, because it's unpretentious. (laughs) 
I love it. Well, I love that it feels like a friend. So it's like mm-hmm. you have a friend that's going to help you in this time that you might need something and it feels friendly and approachable. And like, even when you're paying for it, you're grabbing it off the shelf. It just feels like, oh, it's just, it's just Julie. It's, it's just Julie. not like intimidating. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That was always the goal. Because again, when we talk to women throughout the U.S., they said, I will probably run into somebody I know at the store when I'm buying this. And this feels it, it, it feels bright. It feels happy. It feels discreet if I need it to be discreet. And so letting it be all those things. And how are you getting it more accessible for people? Because I know you guys have a really great retail. Yeah. Rollout. Yeah. So it's in Walmart stores nationwide, which gives us over 4,000 access points. And that allows people as well to make that online order if they want to. Again, if they don't want to go to the store, they can get same day delivery from their local Walmart, most likely. And we also have our D2C site where they can order if they prefer. But I think another important thing that we're hoping to put in the world is there's you have in your home your Band-Aids, your peroxide, your milk, your pain reliever of choice, tampons, all these items that you don't use every day necessarily. This is one of those items. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you buy that morning or that evening this is just something that's in your bathroom and it should be in every bathroom of, you know, a sexually active person who finds themselves needing it. Well, I love what you're doing and congratulations. Like Thank as you. soon as it, it came across in my email, I was like, oh, this is incredible. And I'm so happy for you. And no, we're so grateful that you are with us on it. I have sensitive skin on my body and I know I've talked to you guys about this before and it's really frustrating for me when I'm dealing with skin issues on my body or on my scalp and a lot of that really comes from what we do in the shower and how we treat our skin and hair afterwards but I never really realized how important the shower was as part of this routine. Not only the water that I'm using but the temperature I'm using and that's why I wanted to tell you guys about Jolie. The first time I heard about them was on TikTok and Jolie is a beauty wellness company focused on purifying the quality of our water for better skin and hair. We all know to filter the water that we drink, but why not the water we shower in? Many of our skin and hair issues actually start with our water, dry skin, acne, damaged hair, eczema, change in hair color, rashes, and even hair loss. The water we shower in is fundamental to the quality of our hair and skin, so that's why Jolie is tackling the root cause with the Jolie filtered showerhead. If you've noticed that sometimes when you travel or you go somewhere else, your hair is either better or worse depending on the kind of shower that you're using or the water, then you'll know what I'm talking about. And I definitely experience this when I'll travel somewhere. I'm like, wait, my hair just doesn't feel quite the same. And this is so easy for you to install and just switch out the shower head in your home. And by filtering your shower water, you're getting to the root of the problem and eliminating the contaminants preventing you from your best skin and hair. Jolie is built to remove chlorine and heavy metals, which are the main culprits causing damage to our hair and skin. I know this is something I am especially mindful of as the weather changes and my skin becomes more sensitive on my body and on my scalp. So get filtered shower water at jolieskinco.com or follow them at jolieskinco on Instagram to learn more. Okay, so a couple other brands of yours. Mm-hmm. Another one is Plus. Plus. Tell yeah. me about Plus. Yeah. With Plus, the goal was to, we know in the personal care space that we are responsible for a lot of single-use plastics, a lot of waste. And so Plus is really about starting a conversation about that because with the single-use plastics issue and with the waste in our industry, it doesn't work if only we do it. It works if the PNGs and the Unilevers of the world also adopt these changes. And so Plus is about encouraging these bigger brands to to just think about it. 
And so for us to be able to go into Target and Target launched launch this Target Zero initiative that was all around reducing waste, we think that's how that's how things change because it's not about one or two indie brands giving you an option. It's about the bigger brands. And then why with this brand did you want to partner with someone like Steph? Because Steph is, to me, and I think to everyone online, Steph is like the number one sustainability, sustainability queen. <laughs> queen. Like who else comes to mind? It's Steph. For her to align on this and lend her voice and her platform and was everything. And she works with an organization in L.A. called The People Concern that offers those in temporary housing options, you know, for hygiene, for food, for personal care. And so Plus is it was a really perfect option because when you don't have a permanent home, you're not carrying around toiletries. So Plus really lent itself to that. And, and Steph has been integral in us connecting with the people concerned. So that's been cool. And I don't have it here to show people, but can you explain to people how the sheets yeah, and Plus work? For sure. So we modeled it after liquid body wash because I love bar soap. I love liquid body wash, but we know there's a difference. You know, with bar soap, sometimes you have a little film left over. And with liquid body wash, there's this like real clean that you get. And we wanted to replicate that. So essentially, this sheet is a dehydrated square of liquid body wash. It's almost like if you imagine dehydrating your blob that's in the palm of your hand. And then it's in a sachet that protects it from moisture. And when you're when you open it up, you take out the square, you drop the sachet to the floor of your shower and it just dissolves, which is a fun magic trick. It's amazing. I love <laughs> it. It's like, wow, this is so smart and innovative. And there's innovation throughout all of your brands. Thank you. But what is the next brand? Because you have one more. So FutureWise is another, is is kind of the progression of the Starface user's life. FutureWise is really this idea of that in-between time in your life where you're figuring things out. You're asking questions like, what is a mortgage? Should I be buying a house? How Should I be doing my taxes myself? Do I have an accountant? Like figuring it out, the real adult shit. And future-wise, though, when you look at it, it's all fantasy. Like it's all slugs and mushrooms and nature references because I think that this experience in life also speaks to that being very online and knowing, like gravitating to the outside world, like touch grass very much resonates with us because we're all caught in our phones and our jobs and future wise is kind of this offline experience and the product is a three-step slugging system and slugging is still it's crazy because when I say slugging to most people they say what's that which I love to hear because that means we can share it with them but as a skincare founder and voice you obviously know what slugging is I'm so excited okay so what are the three steps okay so there's a mist, a serum, and a slug balm. Okay. And you can use them together if you want. They're also all three fantastic on their own. But the slug balm is, I think for many users, going to be their first experience with slugging, which is we did not invent. It's like a time-honored behavior of putting an occlusive on your face, ideally over you know some active ingredients or, or some skincare that you already love and trust, and then going to sleep. And it locks in moisture and you wake up ideally with this bouncy, plump, happy skin. It feels good. It looks good immediately. And again, it's something that, you know, someone might say, oh, my grandmother has always done that. Or my dermatologist has told me to do that after a laser. So it's very vetted in that way, which we loved. And it also plays well with your existing skincare routine. But when we came out with the face oil, people were really nervous for face oils. They yeah. said, okay, how can I use this? I'm so nervous. Is it going to clog my pores? There was so much education around like why it was good for your skin. So for sure. somebody going into slugging for the first time, they're nervous. Is it going to clog my pores? Am I, I already have acne prone skin. Am right. I going to break out more? My skin is sensitive. So 
what about this is like safe to use? Who can use this? Yeah. I mean, look, I think if you have an active breakout, slugging's maybe not your best friend at that specific time in your in your skin's life. But if you're somebody whose skin feels thirsty and and maybe their barrier is compromised, slugging is a fantastic option for you. But I think with all these skincare options, it's always good to just test something on your neck, test something on the side. But I do consider myself a good guinea pig because I'm I'm always acne prone, always will be. And so I've been loving the products. The whole team has been loving the products. And but of course, yeah, everything is not for every skin type. Between all your brands, they're so interesting in its own way. And there's something I think the editorial background of you understands like what works. And I think like the branding marketing person of you understands that too. And there's so many skills that you have. How do you think about innovation across like the different products? Like how are you pushing yourselves? Because like stars was different. Plus is different. Like these are all different formats that maybe you weren't thinking of before. Sure. Yeah. I think I think what's interesting to us is going into a place where there's a universal experience but a conversation isn't being had. So with emergency contraception, this is a very mass universal experience. And yet the majority of individuals in the U.S. don't know what this drug does. So they're taking and using the morning after pill, but they're not, they don't know what it does. And I think we felt the same for acne. It was, this is an experience that most people will have at some point in their life, but there's stigmas, there's misconceptions. And one of the biggest misconceptions with acne that was important to us was the way that acne treatment was sort of linked to diet culture. So unpacking that, especially for a young person, because if you tell a 15 year old you need to stop eating McDonald's because it's going to give you a breakout. Well, then you're also planting a seed for something else. So it felt very important to just unmarry those two ideas and go to your doctor and let them tell you that you have an allergy because short of an allergy to tell a young person how to eat, I just feel is dangerous. And how are you splitting your time between (laughs) all of these brands and all of the work that you're doing? That's a good question. Something I'm learning how to do because I'm not inherently organized. So I have to really figure it out. Actually, I've gotten a lot of tips from your podcast. Oh, thank Um, you. But I think having systems in place and team is really important. So the structure of our meetings, having more meetings or less meetings and always trial and error of what works. I think remember like peak COVID when everything had to be a Zoom meeting, every thought, every conversation. So now thinking about what should be a coffee or a dinner or a party or a phone call. Everything's not a Zoom meeting. Yes. Thank you. Because some things I'm like, wait, why are we on, why? We're not on Zoom why are for we the here? sake of being the Zoom? Yeah. Like this could have been a call or a meeting or even a text. And what's a text and what's a Slack message? These are all. Yeah. And then your team, you guys are in New York, L.A., all over. All over. Yeah. People are throughout the U.S. and we get together at different points of the year. We have, you know, offsites or meetings, parties, whatever. But we are starting to think about what more centralized office spaces look like because and I think there's just that collective pull of wanting to be together and the way it feels to make things when you're in the same room, even when you get to be on set. It's just a different feeling. Yeah, we went, we're like in a hybrid schedule now. Mm-hmm. So like some teams are in Monday, Wednesday, some teams are on Tuesday, Thursday. Uh-huh. So even, I feel like you, there's just something about being together in person, especially when you're talking about like product development or marketing where it's like right? you want to be speaking things out because even if you're on Zoom, it's not the same as like in person mm-hmm. and just like the normal like chit chat and like being in the office and like being together in the comfort of that. So we found that that's a good balance for now and then just kind of see how it is moving forward. And then Fridays always work from home. That's nice. And then of course we have summer Fridays, which is like 
on we brand. Have to. Yeah. <laughs> now that Thanksgiving has passed, it is officially time to start your holiday shopping. I know that I've already started thinking about the things that I want to get, but it's coming and it is only a few weeks away. So if you are still not sure what to give your favorite people in your life for the holidays, use Macy's Gift Finder because it makes it so easy to get your mom, grandpa, or BFF a dream gift at any budget. They've got everything from Lux to $15 and under. You can check out these gift ideas at macy's.com slash gift finder. If you know what you're looking for, but you're stumped on what to get them, browse curated shops and gift lists for the jet setters, the one who has everything, the pet parent, and so much more. And if you or your special someone is brand loyal to the end, Macy's has designers for days like Coach, Ugg, Kylie Cosmetics, Free People, and the list goes on. And if you're proudly in the, okay, I'm somebody who only wants to do my Christmas shopping the night before camp, treat yourself because maybe you need a new set of fluffy house slippers or you want to get the holiday vibe set with ornaments, lights, and wreaths. Oh, and don't forget your R&R essentials like your favorite skincare products. I'm looking right now on the site under a few of the luxe gifts for home and a few of these that I know I personally love are an air fryer, espresso machines. You can make espresso at home, which I love. There's new Samsonite luggage, which I feel like everyone in my life is always traveling. So I need to get them some good luggage to travel with. And a gift on here I see that I love for myself is the women's feather satin pajama set. This is so cute. And I know that I will like this for my holiday content. You can shop all of these at more. Check out these gifts to feel holiday ready at Macy's.com slash how is your working relationship like with Brian? Like, how do you guys yeah. split things? Like, what are the roles? Yeah. So Brian and I, I've become more and more grateful for the relationship, to be honest with you, as the years have gone on, because I think a lot of it is intuitive. We were introduced by Brian's then girlfriend, now wife. So there's this family style sibling dynamic, which I think really helps. But we've we've gotten to know each other over the years and we have a trust and a respect that's a little bit unspoken of, I know you're going to do your thing. I know you're going to do your thing. I'm not going to step on your toes. And I think we're lucky, but we also do a, a lot of 360 reviews and, you know, startup shit like that, that I never thought we would be doing. It's helpful, like to get together once a month and say, this is what's working. Congrats to you on this. And this is what's not working. And like, give each other that feedback. I think that's really helped us grow and both be receptive to feedback. And we both, I think, are always trying to work on. And I think you guys are a great duo. Like you guys are so complimentary and like the skills that you have and like have been able to build so many great brands together. And I'm so excited to see. I know you have four. Like what else is coming? <laughs> I'm so excited for more things and more products. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. He is very good at what he does. And he we I agree. I think we complement each other. And sometimes, you know, you have like a friend or somebody that you would love to work with. But the skill set is redundant and it makes it challenging. And some maybe sometimes that works. But for us, I think it's positive that I'll like, you know, say somebody I want to shoot. And he's like, who's that? And that's great. I'm like, OK, good. We've both got our areas covered. And then for the brands, do people work across multiple brands under your brand or do you have different teams? So we have individual teams and then we have a couple of individuals who work across all brands. And with that, too, always reexamining that model and and trying new things. But each brand does have a core team. And we have we even have a co-founder on some of those brands. And Starface, for example, has an amazing president. Her name's Kara. So they're all slightly different, but they're they're modeled similarly. And where do you go for inspiration? That's such a good question. I, offline. OK. Yeah. You just spent a couple of days offline. Right? Yeah. Like no phone, like really offline or how offline yes. are you? So my friend, 
this was our dream to go take X number of days and not use our phones. And finally, we were able to do it. We went to this place called Miraval in Austin where they encourage unplugging. So they lay the foundation for you. There's no phones in common areas. You can use your phone in the room. I thought if I'm going to be here, I'm just going to do the whole thing. It's now or never. Like when will I get the opportunity? So turned my phone off. And I have to say of every addiction or habit or this is the easiest one to go cold turkey with. Like I find what's difficult with the phone is the moderation because the way that these apps that we use are designed, they're not made for moderation. They're they're made to lose 12 hours. And we both read these books that we got at the gift shop by this <laughs> incredible woman, Catherine Pierce, who wrote two books on unplugging. She's great. Is one called Break Up With Your Phone? Yes, did okay, you read it? I, I read it. I have it. And I'm reaching out to her to be on the podcast. <gasps> Please because, have her. But it's such a hard thing, I think, for us because I know. we live our lives on the internet. We have businesses that need the internet. We need social media for work. We're mm-hmm. posting on there. We're sharing our brands. But then we need to have boundaries around not being online and not accessible. So I feel like that's the hardest part is like, oh, I would love to limit my time, except for when I'm working, I like of have to open Instagram or I need to open TikTok. And then I just start scrolling Yeah, because I'm there anyway. Imagine telling your team that you're just deleting Instagram. <laughs> no, you, yeah. you can't. But no, she does have amazing tips in her book on just small changes that you can make. Like I got this alarm clock called Hatch. So I have one too. Oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So so that thing wakes me up instead of my phone. And even rearranging the way you have your apps or your home screen to mm-hmm. discourage you from doing that mindless grab and scroll and check. And reading these books kind of um, reminded me to think about the evolution of how we use our phones. Because I don't know, I remember when I worked in media, it didn't feel like this constant refresh, refresh, check, check, check of every area where I'm communicating. How do you feel like media and editorial has changed since your time there? Because I feel like it's really different now. Yeah, I think it is really different now. I think that covers will always be iconic. I think the way we anticipate covers and the way they can launch someone's career and also in-depth stories and, you know, researched out pieces that you often just don't get the time or the space to do with online reporting. So I think there's always going to be a place for that. And but it's shifting and the cadence at which, you know, publications put out new work. I don't know. And there could be even a magazine resurgence in the way that we are kind of gravitating to to analog things. I think there's always going to be a place for it. A lot of your old like coworkers and peers, are they still working there? Have they left? What are people doing? They're doing amazing things. They're doing very cool things. So like from my L.com team specifically, one friend, Danielle, just put out a memoir amazing memoir called Token Black Girl. Chloe, who I used to work with, now works with me across all brands. And Chloe is the best, like just the funniest and most talented. And then some amazing co-workers are still there, like Nikki, who works at Harper's Bazaar, like amazing fashion editor. And other people have gone there. Carly, one of my closest friends, is a content creator. And, and she's had another baby too, right? Yeah. Or has it been a while? Well, I mean, it's still a baby. Yeah, still a baby. baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. That was a long rambling yeah, list. Okay. But everyone's doing different things and really cool things. I think it also speaks to like, be kind to your coworkers and people that you're with because you <laughs> never know if where they're going to be and where you're going to end up in your career. Because in our lifetime of our career, we're still young. Yeah. We still have like many decades <laughs> of like work to go. And these people either end up working for your brand or you end up working with them at a certain time. And just because things ebb and flow. So it's like you never know what the future will hold. So where can we find you and all your brands? Yeah. So Julie is at Julie 
proud that we got that handle. A very nice woman allowed us to do that transfer. Starface is at Starface. Futurewise is at Futurewise. Plus is at Clean with Plus. I'm Julie underscore shot. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.